Julio Jones was shadowed last week. Shadowed by Josh Norman. Josh Norman, the best cornerback we've ever seen. The best cornerback in league history. Josh Norman, the unbeatable. Well, Julio Jones still had 15 fantasy points. <laughs> Looking back at week 14, it's like Julio Jones scored a zero. He had 15 fantasy points in PPR. He wasn't completely shut down. He was muted from what he normally does, but he wasn't shut down. But Julio Jones was shadowed in that game by one of the league's uber-elite cornerbacks. There are two uber-elite cornerbacks in the NFL who are better than their contemporaries by a wide margin. Josh Norman, Richard Sherman. That's it. That's the list. And as we've said on the show, when a wide receiver is going to be shadowed by either Josh Norman or Richard Sherman, then that receiver should be discounted over and above what you would normally discount him because of the defense that he's facing. That's it. That's all we've said on previous shows. Don't get too caught up in trying to figure out which cornerbacks are matching up with which wide receivers. It almost always doesn't matter because we have the defensive efficiency statistics against particular positions. Therefore, adding a shadow factor is just layering in additional noise. However, in the case of Josh Norman and in the case of Richard Sherman, the shadow factor matters. It should rightfully be added to the equation. And we did that with Julio Jones last week. And we were correct to put a shadow factor on him because he was significantly less productive than Odell Beckham, who we had projected for eight more points than Julio Jones in week 14. Yay! Woo! We did it! But we also projected Allen Robinson to have 20 points, so that didn't really work out. Allen Robinson was shadowed! You should have put a shadow factor on Allen Robinson! Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so because Allen Robinson was being covered by Vontae Davis, a cornerback who's not particularly good. I mean, he's, he's fine, but he's not elite. Vontae Davis locking up with Allen Robinson wasn't the reason for Allen Robinson's poor performance. And we know this because numerous wide receivers had had success against Vontae Davis. So that, that's not the reason. You're looking for a reason. You're predisposed to think the shadow factor is the reason. So that's what you're going to do with Allen Robinson in week 14. When in reality, most wide receivers are hugely volatile week to week, especially wide receivers that have inaccurate quarterbacks. And we'll talk about Blake Bortles more later in the show. And this week, we have Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr. heavily discounted because of the defenses they're facing. But only Odell Beckham Jr. is heavily discounted because of the specific cornerback in addition to the defense that he's facing. And actually, only Odell Beckham Jr. and Travis Benjamin will be getting the dreaded shadow factor added on the playerprofiler.com weekly player rankings. And even though Odell Beckham Jr. will be heavily discounted this week because he's facing a highly efficient defense against fantasy wide receivers in the Carolina Panthers, and he will also be shadowed by an uber-elite cornerback in Josh Norman, it is rational to discount Odell Beckham Jr., but it is irrational to bench him in a redraft league. Are you kidding me? Are you mad, man? Oh, no, but if you read NFL.com, that's their lead fantasy story. Start Jeremy Macklin, 
bench Odell Beckham Jr. What are the people at NFL.com smoking? Because I want some. Give me some of that. That's the good shit that you guys are smoking at NFL.com. And let's think it through. What kind of fantasy roster would you have to have in order to even consider benching Odell Beckham Jr.? Your other options would literally have to be Allen Robinson. I keep thinking, I keep laughing to myself because I keep wanting to say Charles Johnson. And that's so wrong. Couldn't be more wrong. Almost made the mistake of saying Charles Johnson instead of Calvin Johnson. Let me try that again. Not Charles Johnson. You could start literally any wide receiver on an NFL roster, and that would provide you with more upside than starting Charles Johnson. If your other options were Allen Robinson, Calvin Johnson, Brandon Marshall, Julio Jones, if those were your other options, specifically those four receivers, then yes, okay, those people with that one in 10,000 chance team, those people with that improbable roster, those people might consider benching Odell Beckham Jr. Is that the NFL.com audience? The five rosters in the world that have those specific wide receivers? Is that who they're going for? Is that who they're trying to get clicks from? What are you doing, NFL.com? Bench Odell Beckham Jr. Under no circumstances would you do that. Even if Richard Sherman and Josh Norman were on the same team, you wouldn't bench Odell Beckham Jr. in a redraft fantasy league team. It just wouldn't happen. Dumb. Also, there's the regret factor. You don't do it just because if you did do it in the fantasy playoffs and Odell Beckham Jr. goes out and scores a touchdown, the regret factor would be way too high to even consider doing that. The egg on the face being the guy that benched Odell Beckham Jr. and then lost his matchup because of it, you couldn't play fantasy football after that. The shame of that would be too much. You'd have to walk away. You'd have to retire in shame. But looking back at the players that we didn't give a shadow factor to last week, we were still right about. And that's what's cool. When you are properly discounting players based on the defenses they're facing and how efficient those defenses are at stopping particular positions from scoring fantasy points, just using that alone is almost always enough without adding a shadow factor. We were right. Without adding a shadow factor, putting Amari Cooper outside the top 30 last week and putting Michael Crabtree outside the top 40. If you do a good job calculating opportunity and opposing defensive efficiency, just doing that you are going to finish in the top 10 among player rankers in the fantasy football community. Because half of the experts are just going out there with gut feelings without any analytical process. If you have an analytical process behind you supporting your rankings, you can go ahead and add some bullshit shadow factor to every wide receiver and you'll still finish in the top 10 among fantasy experts. It's still possible because you're already starting with such an advantage that you have an analytical process in place. You're not just going by feel with your rankings every week. But winning in fantasy football isn't just about being a top 20 rankings guy. Particularly in DFS, it's about winning on the margins. You have to be better. And last week, in our optimal lineup generator, our lineup optimizer on playerprofiler.com, we had Doug Baldwin and Odell Beckham Jr. in a ton of lineups together because we were rational. We had Doug Baldwin ranked in the top 20 wide receivers because, of course, has anyone been paying attention? <laughs> What? How could you not? Oh, he wasn't by a lot of people. 
The problem was some of those lineups that we had, Doug Baldwin and Odell Beckham Jr. also had Jameis Winston and LaShawn McCoy. Ah, yeah. So if we're doing a report on our optimal lineups from last week, our optimal lineup tool, the lineup optimizer, it featured Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, Odell Beckham Jr., Doug Baldwin, Sammy Watkins, and some undervalued tight ends like Zach Ertz, Will Ty, and Zach Miller. We killed the wide receivers and we killed the tight ends last week. We also had a lot of Tim Hightower mixed in. So it was an exciting week for us for the lineup optimizer. We did a great job. I was really proud of it. But even though those lineups did incredibly well, most of them, unfortunately, we also had lineups featuring LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, Sean Drone, so some running backs that, needless to say, did not meet their projections. And we also had a lot of Jameis Winston and Alex Smith. Damn it! God damn it! If Jameis Winston had reached even 75% of his projection last week, we would have had some incredible lineups for tournament play. Oh my God, I can't! Made me cry last week seeing Jameis Winston at the top of some of those otherwise spectacular lineups. Oh, I was in tears. It was our cash lineups that did the best, actually, because the cash lineups had Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of Jameis Winston. Whew. So you had Ryan Fitzpatrick, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall. Boom, 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 boom. Ching, ching. Those were our best lineups. We just didn't have enough of them. But it was. It was a great week for our player rankings last week. It was a great week for our lineup optimizer. And it's looking more and more like that week 13 implosion that we suffered was a full-blown anomaly. So, whew. And that's the thing. It's a cool feeling. Even if you're only one player away from delivering truly unreal lineups, that's still cool because one of these days you're going to hit them all. And that's exciting. Now, I mentioned we had a lot of Doug Baldwin in last week's optimal lineups. And speaking of Doug Baldwin, we had a buzzard right in. You can contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. Why aren't you talking about Doug Baldwin in Tyler Lockett's production spike? correlated with Jimmy Graham's injury. Ah, that's right, because in a last show, I framed Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett's production spike around an enhanced volume from Russell Wilson, around the idea that the Seahawks had finally walked away from this idea that they are going to be run the ball into the ground, shorten the game, minimize the number of possessions by the opposing offense. That's been Seattle's philosophy for years. And that's why Russell Wilson, his production has been uneven. And in many weeks, especially in the first half of this year, he was only usable for one week in fantasy lineups. It was because of Seattle's philosophy. It wasn't because of the presence of Jimmy Graham. Once you saw Seattle start to throw the ball over 30 times, regularly, then you could start to project more volume and more fantasy production for the players in the passing game, especially the featured players like Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett. So I was much more interested in the change in philosophy that led to the enhanced volume than I was any correlation with Jimmy Graham's injury. I just don't think the Jimmy Graham injury was the reason for Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett's recent success. Jimmy Graham wasn't crowding out targets even when he was playing because he wasn't getting targets anyway. And his replacement, Luke Wilson, is Jimmy Graham's athletic equal. So it's not like they're replacing Jimmy Graham with Brandon Myers. Luke Wilson is a very capable receiving tight end. The lack of a capable receiving tight end isn't the reason for 
Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett's success. It's the change in philosophy after Marshawn Lynch went down. The Seattle Seahawks became a more pass-heavy offense. They changed their scheme, which makes sense. Many would argue that Marshawn Lynch was their best offensive player. And if you lose your best offensive player, I wouldn't say that. I think Russell Wilson's their best offensive player by leaps and bounds, but they lost one of their featured weapons in Marshawn Lynch. And so it makes sense. If you lose one of your featured weapons, you change your scheme. It's rational. But Jimmy Graham, what a bust. He's been a bust all year. I mean, has any trade of a superstar ever worked out for both sides? Whenever I see a team trade a superstar in his late prime, it's always a head scratcher to me. And I always start to think about what are the roots behind this trade? What are the mechanics behind this trade? Why did New Orleans want to trade away Jimmy Graham? And why did Seattle want to acquire Jimmy Graham? Because we don't see those very often in football. There's just not many trades of consequence in football. There just isn't. So that's my question for the audience. Again, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. When was the last time you saw a trade of a superstar that worked out for both sides? Joe Montana? Do we have to go back to Joe Montana being traded to the Chiefs? Or is there a more recent example? Contact the show. I'm interested. So we had another buzzard right in. In order to tout Denard Robinson, you were forced to praise Blake Bortles of all players. I never thought I would see the day, Mr. Kelly. I like that. The comma space, Mr. Kelly. I like that. That's respectful. Thank you for that. Polite. Buzzards, if you want your email or tweet read on the air, do what that buzzard did. Call me Mr. Kelly. Yes. But I love how Jaguars fans go from, oh, please, God, Lord, baby Jesus, just let Blake Bortles be serviceable. Please save him from the bust category. Don't let him be Ryan Leaf. Please, please. Please, God, Lord, baby Jesus. That was Jaguars fans three months ago. We're saying that because in week one, remember week one? Does anyone remember week one? It was a long time ago, all the way back to mid-September. <gasps> way, 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 way back. Three months ago, Blake Bortles against Carolina at home, home game against Carolina, 22 of 40, 183 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, yards per attempt of 4.58. And Jaguars fans were panicked. Our second-year quarterback is looking like a bust. Oh, no! That was three months ago, everybody. And now he's Ben Roethlisberger. Yes, now he's Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> and I'm seeing this. I'm seeing a lot of comparisons. Looking at Blake Bortles' 2015 season and Andrew Luck's 2013 season. Wow, those are two very similar seasons. Blake Bortles is the next Andrew Luck slash Ben Roethlisberger. It's crazy. It's so cool. He's amazing. Yeah, I don't think so. In no way, shape, or form is Blake Bortles Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck had one of the best college QBRs coming out of Stanford and was the highest regarded quarterback prospect of a decade. Meanwhile, Blake Bortles at Central Florida couldn't even crack the 80.0 threshold for college QBR. So I'm not enthusiastic about the future of Blake Bortles ever reaching the heights of Andrew Luck or Ben Roethlisberger. I would be shocked if that happens. Just based on his prospect profile alone, not even mentioning his 2014 season in which he had a negative 15.5 production premium, 36th in the league on playerprofiler.com. A situation agnostic efficiency metric measuring every play from every down and distance 
of that quarterback against league average. Blake Bortles was the least efficient quarterback in the NFL, according to production premium, according to passer rating, according to total QBR, according to yards per attempt. By every efficiency measure we have, he was the worst in the league last year. So if you have an average college quarterback who suddenly becomes the it quarterback of a particular draft class, is a late riser, as teams become smitten with his size and athleticism, that quarterback comes into the league and is the least efficient quarterback we've seen in a long time. The Blake Bortles 2014 stats page is something that you should never show to children. So based on that alone, based on his college profile and his 2014 stats, I am willing to say Blake Bortles will never become Andrew Luck or Ben Roethlisberger. Blake Bortles' 2015 season, in particular, his counting statistics have been the product of things outside his control. Luck and randomness, number one, and the fact that he has tremendous weapons surrounding him and supporting him. Because he hasn't been efficient. 7.03 yards per attempt and 57.5 completion percentage. His 57.5 completion percentage is still lower than it was last year. If you compare Blake Bortles' efficiency to other quarterbacks around the league, he has below average efficiency. So get out of here with these comparisons to Andrew Luck. The reason why Andrew Luck didn't have a great 2013 season is because his wide receivers in 2013 were Deion Branch, LaVon Brazil, Darius Hayward Bay, Derrick Rogers, Griff Whalen, and T.Y. Hilton. He had a second year T.Y. Hilton and a bunch of guys you've probably never heard of. I actually like Griff Whalen a little bit, but that's beside the point. And when I talk about luck and when I talk about randomness, what am I talking about? I'm talking about his schedule this year. Have you seen Blake Bortles' schedule? He faced a great defense, one in Carolina, and he got smoked, as we mentioned earlier. Then he plays Miami, New England, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, Houston, Buffalo, Jets, Baltimore, Baltimore, Tennessee, San Diego, Tennessee again, Indianapolis again. Blake Bortles doesn't have a single game on his game log in which he had over 275 yards and his team won. Every game in which Blake Bortles posted more than 275 yards, it was in a Jacksonville loss. Do you realize how many 300-yard games Tom Brady has compiled in Patriots victories? When you're losing and you're losing big, that is the easiest possible path to compiling counting statistics, and that is what Blake Bortles has done this year. Like That's the answer. If you're looking at the Blake Bortles profile on playerprofiler.com and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is a conundrum. He has great counting stats, and he does have great counting stats. Who would dispute that? Through 14 weeks, he already has, well, is it even through 14 weeks? We're into week 15 of the season, but he's only played 13 weeks. Through 13 weeks, three weeks left to play, Blake Bortles already has 3,500 passing yards and 30 touchdowns. That is incredible. Those are hugely impressive, exceptional counting stats. Counting stats. Counting stats. Counting stats compiled against teams with good run defenses and bad pass defenses. Because that's the formula. If you want to throw for huge yardage and touchdowns, face a defense with a great run defense and a bad pass defense. Face Baltimore. That's how you do it. You can't run the ball, so you have to throw the entire game. You get down big, and then you're throwing in garbage time throughout the fourth quarter. That's Blake Bortles. That's his path 
to huge counting stats. That's how he's done it. It's not because he has great ability, because the efficiency stats, the efficiency metrics, they betray him. They illuminate what he really is. And when you go to the game log, it's not even about what you see on the game log. It's about what you don't see on the game log. You don't see Denver. You don't see Arizona. You don't see Seattle. You don't see Cincinnati. You don't see St. Louis. You don't see Minnesota. You don't see Green Bay. You don't even see Dallas. You see one great pass defense in Carolina. That's it. That's it! And name one great pass rusher on that list that would inhibit Blake Bortles from having time in the pocket to make throws. J.J. Watt is on there, and Chandler Jones. That's it. He's had time to throw because he hasn't faced great pass rushes. The Miami Dolphins have the worst pass rush in the league. And if you watched the game last week, Blake Bortles was afforded all the time in the world in the pocket. He didn't have to tactically scramble. He didn't have to demonstrate pocket awareness. Those skills weren't necessary. He wasn't asked to do those things because he was facing a defense that couldn't pressure the quarterback. Because that's been the story of Blake Bortles all year. Facing teams that can't pressure the quarterback and can't cover opposing wide receivers. But I'll say it. I want to make sure that I'm clear about this to everyone because I know fans of the Jaguars listen to this show. Blake Bortles is not awful. He is a top 20 quarterback in this league. You can't post 3,500 yards in a season through 13 weeks with 30 touchdowns and be awful. It's not possible. He's pretty good. He is pretty good, but he's not great. And he will never be Andrew Luck and he will never be Ben Roethlisberger. He has impressive counting statistics. He's a top 20 quarterback in this league. He's in that Jay Cutler, Matthew Stafford archetype. Impressive counting stats, especially when those quarterbacks are blessed with some of the best wide receiver tandems in the NFL, as Matthew Stafford has been, as Jay Cutler has been, and as Blake Bortles is now with the Allens. But Bortles and Cutler and Stafford all have one thing in common. They lack the accuracy and the decision-making prowess to win a Super Bowl. But then I get this buzzard message come in. Do you really think that Blake Bortles is the next Ben Roethlisberger? So, no. And then they go on. Do you think you'll ever be intimidated by Jag's Twitter and forced to keep quiet? Yes, yes. Yes, Jag's Twitter will soon be bullying me into silence, and I'm really worried about that, yes. It's something that keeps me up at night. Jag's Twitter, yeah. And it's funny, this is the second ominous message I've received from a listener of the show about quote-unquote Jag's Twitter. Because I received another buzzard message, I think last month, and it said as follows, Watch your mouth, in all caps, DON'T MESS WITH JAG's TWITTER. This was after another Blake Bortles comedy half hour. Watch your mouth, DON'T MESS WITH JAG's TWITTER. Those guys are animals you don't want to get on their bad side. I mean, I dismissed that message. I didn't read it on the air. I, had, I didn't know what to do with it. But now that I'm getting multiple messages asking me if I'm afraid of Jag's Twitter, I'm going back in the archive and I'm reading these and I'm going, what is up? What is this? I mean, take a step back. What? What? How can there be such a thing as Jag's Twitter, quote unquote? And how is Jag's Twitter an ominous force in social media. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. I read that, I think it through, and I'm like, this is silly. This is the most ludicrous idea I've ever heard, that there could be a Jags Twitter, and that that Jags Twitter could be this ominous, powerful force. <laughs> what? 
But then it hit me. After I thought about it some more, it hit me. Because I, I had to figure this out. I had to figure out this, this riddle. What is Jag's Twitter? Where does it come from? Like, I don't know anyone on Jag's Twitter. I just know of this nebulous idea that is Jag's Twitter that people have emailed me. And I thought it through and I thought it through. And it hit me. Of course Jag's Twitter is a thing. Of course it is. Of course. Think about it. If you're a hipster wannabe looking for the most pathetic, cheesiest team that no one cares about, of course you're going to pick the Jags. Of course. Put yourself in the shoes of one of these hipster sports fans. Here's what we'll do. We'll commandeer that team, that team that nobody respects. We'll commandeer that team as our own. And we won't let anyone ever on that bandwagon if that team ever gets good. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah, it sounds like a good plan. We'll be sports fan kings if they ever get good. Because we were here first. We were here when the Jaguars were a punchline. Where were you, sir? <laughs> right? That's how the hipster thinks. The Jags are like the ugly Christmas sweater that the hipster wannabes love so much. See, I'm trying so hard not to seem like I'm trying to be cool. But in the process, trying way too hard to be cool. Like, that's it. It's the classic contrived hipster paradox. I don't know anyone on Jags Twitter, as I mentioned, but I would imagine, I imagine them, if I think about in my mind's eye, if I think about what is Jags Twitter? I imagine them as these generic hipsters you see in magazines with flannels and Timberland boots and beards and faux hawk haircuts, trying way too hard to not try too hard while obviously trying way too hard. I mean, that guy taking over the Jags as his team, that's like a neighborhood gentrifying. You can see it. It's, it's, it's very similar when I think of hipsters moving in, right? I mean, if you start to see that guy showing up at your team's games, that hipster, that's like a Whole Foods being built within walking distance of your apartment. Run! Move out! Hipsters are coming! Right? Hipsters are coming with their Jag starter jackets and Christmas sweaters. Run! And I see, they want to play it cool, I would imagine, right? You would want to play it cool. If you put yourself in the shoes of a Jags Twitter hipster. I mean, you want to play it cool as Bortles continues to play well and post counting statistics. You want to play it cool. But then you can tell. You can see them cracking. Once the mainstream guys start comparing Blake Bortles to Ben Roethlisberger and Andrew Luck, you can see them cracking. You can see them all just collectively letting go of their pretensions and becoming genuinely happy. We did it! It's happening! It's happening! Oh my gosh! We're gonna be cool! They're happy not because they genuinely like the Jaguars. They're happy because their five-year investment cheering for a cheesy, pathetic team looks like it might actually pay off. We're finally get to be right. Yes. Yes. It's like when your overpriced condo becomes really, really, really overpriced and families start moving in. Yes, we won! We picked the right neighborhood to gentrify! Jags Twitter! You'll have to excuse me if I'm not intimidated by this nebulous idea that is Jags Twitter that I've never actually experienced but I've heard a lot about. Also, it's worth noting, right? Nothing that anyone says on Twitter matters. Not even the president. The president has a Twitter account and nobody cares. So there's no way that some member of Jag's Twitter could ever somehow matter. In fact, when you think about all the things that matter in the sphere of social media, even if we start assigning all the different movements on social media and we put them all in a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, start to assign them quality scores, give them ratings, Jag's Twitter 
would have the lowest rating of all of the movements on Twitter if you're quantifying how much this movement matters, right? Because it's sports, and it's not just sports. It's sports and the Jaguars. So sports are just entertainment, a distraction. And then on top of that, you have the most lowly franchise in sports. So, But we haven't even heard the last of Jags Twitter this season. We have three games left. And do you realize which one of those games is left on the schedule? New Orleans. We haven't even seen post-New Orleans Jags Twitter Blake Bortles euphoria yet. I shudder at the thought, but it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Oh, yes. More counting stats for Jags Twitter to feast on. Jags Twitter doesn't feel like a very analytical group to me because they picked the Jags. I mean, if you were a nerd, an analytics nerd, and you were crunching the numbers to try to figure out which team to cheer for, you wouldn't pick the Jaguars. But even if Blake Bortles, even if his his whole stats page was reversed, right? Even if Blake Bortles had efficiency stats but not counting stats, you know that those would be the stats that Jags Twitter is waving around, right? Because that's what confirmation bias is. That's how it manifests itself. You're looking for the stat, literally any stat. It doesn't matter where it is, how it was calculated. Could be an efficiency stat, could be a counting stat. Just any stat to confirm my affinity for Player X, and then I will get excited. Literally any positive stat is where Jags Twitter would probably place their flag, their hipster flag, right? I'm surprised the Jags logo doesn't have one of those beards yet, those hipster beards. Someone needs to Photoshop the Jags logo with a hipster beard. We need that. But again, I'm sure I have Jags Twitter followers and Jags Twitter listeners, so I just want to make sure that I'm clarifying my remarks here, okay? I'm not trying to insult all Jags fans on social media. That's not what I'm saying. I'm only criticizing the carpet-bagging hipsters from Brooklyn or Austin or Portland. The hipster hotbeds, right? The hipsters with the faux enthusiasm for the Jaguars. Manufactured out of a contrived desire to be maximum contrarian. To be maximum uncool. You know it's contrived because the ultimate goal is to one day become cool because the Jags have become good. So I'm only being critical, just I want to make this clear, I'm only being critical of the lumbersexual, bearded, craft beer drinking, barbecue snobs from Brooklyn wearing a Jags Christmas sweater to their holiday party. Those people are a virus in sports. But for the genuine Jaguars fans... Jaguars fans with Jacksonville roots, I'm rooting for those people. I want those people to feel joy and happiness and to be happy about their sports team. Because when those people finally find success with their sports team, their enthusiasm is always palpable and it's real and it's genuine and that's what makes it cool. 